0: more than a test we are joined by Kirsten Baylor. Kirsten Baylor is the head of all schools all public education in the state of North Dakota. She's an elected commissioner and has been for the last 12 years and today on our podcast she announces that sure enough she is going to be running for her fourth term. Why? She's still got more work to do. In a state that I think of as just being really cold and filled with really strong people, like my grandmother-in-law who still shovels her own walk, it is also a state full of diversity. Children from all over the country and all over the world are moving there. Tons of different languages, lots of different interests, and she manages it all and believes that every child in North Dakota deserves a great education. She's innovative, she's thoughtful, she's incredible, and this is one of those conversations you just won't want to miss. This is more than a test. Hey Kirsten, thanks for being here. Really glad to be here. Thanks so much, Laura. I was already telling you this morning that my husband's really excited because his family is originally from North Dakota and his grandmother is 98 years old and still goes to UND hockey and shovels her own walk. And so I am just excited to have a strong UN uh, North Dakota woman here on our podcast today.
1: Yep. And you mentioned UND. She's a big UND fan. We embrace them. They've got an amazing hockey team. And, you know, to be fair, we've got a great football team at the North Dakota State University, kind of their rival to the South. So really. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Your your 98 year old grandmother. That's kind of how we grow them here in North Dakota. It's our work ethic. Um, I was at an air force base yesterday. We have two air force bases in North Dakota, and on the gate, the security gate, it said, "Only the best come north." And so we do embrace that hearty hardy attitude, and um, we we lean it, we lean into it.
0: Wow, that's really lovely. Um, so you are the head of the State Department of Education yes. for North Dakota. Are you North Dakota born? Like this is where you were raised as well? Born and raised here. Yes. I'm the seven I'm the seventh child
1: of, of a really great family. Um, my mom and dad just really raised us to do, you know, God, family, country and servant leadership before that was a term. Grew up in a really small town called Flasher, didn't really have any um did have any anxiety about uh being from a town called flasher growing up in north dakota because i describe north dakota as one community with a really long main street and we all really know each other and so when i would say flasher uh, people were like, oh, yeah, I know so-and-so, or I went to college with so-and-so. And then I started, you know, obviously as a state superintendent, having more regional and national colleagues and meetings. And we would talk about what our hometown was and what our mascots were, just kind of those icebreaker questions. And I'd get some funny looks when I'd say that I was from Flasher. And then, of course, the question would be, so was your mascot a guy in a raincoat? And I'm like, no, actually, we were the Bulldogs, we're the Flasher Bulldogs. And so, yeah, really proud of that heritage, really proud of where we came from, where I came from and and the upbringing that I have. And just so honored to be the state superintendent, uh, starting my 12th year in that position. January 3rd was my anniversary, my 11th anniversary, and starting my 12th year in the office. So really honored to 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 be in that position. I've seen tremendous growth in our student um population and just really the the things that we're doing in North Dakota the last 10 years 10 11 years has just been
0: phenomenal and and just really blessed to be in this position okay you touched on so many things I want to dial into so the first I want to say you said it was your 11th almost 12th year but your position is elected so we had the Rhode Island commissioner on recently And she's appointed she was appointed by the governor but you're in an elected position like yard signs you run for this position is that right that is correct um and helica infant green is my is my colleague and she is an amazing
1: commissioner Uh, about a third of us are elected so yes i ran for the first time i my first statewide race ever was in 2012 uh won that first election was reelected in 2016. 2020 election campaign yard signs parades was a little bit different because of the pandemic and interestingly enough, I um, just announced my uh, intention to seek a fourth term. I announced my I put out a press release at about 430 this morning. So I'll be seeking a fourth term in the 2024 election.
0: Ah, you heard it here first. We're so lucky to have you this day. And so North Dakota is so lucky to have someone so committed that you'd be willing to do this again. Tell me this. How is in your opinion, obviously, because you don't know necessarily what it's like to be appointed. But from your opinion, what is the difference in the dynamic between being in an elected um, sup- uh, superintendent of the state versus uh, unappointed.
1: So it's interesting because, as I said, about a third of my colleagues are elected, about a third are appointed by the governor, and a third are hired by a board of education. And so that are either appointed or elected uh, composition of a state board. I truly would do it no other way. Um, It's not yeah, it's not, I would say, you know, running, campaigning, raising money, parades, uh, debates, those types of things, not my favorite thing to do, but it okay. is the route to get to do the work that is my favorite thing to do. So it is the route, but once elected, um, you can be completely unapologetically, unapologetically committed to one thing and one thing only, and that is the education of students. You can keep the main thing, the main thing, and when you're appointed by a governor a governor has a lot of issues that are in the mix, in the blender. And sometimes education doesn't always rise to the top in every situation. And there may, may be negotiations and compromises that need to be made on certain
0: issues. And the governor is thinking about a lot of things. You just mentioned that you are um, an elected position in North Dakota. So like the yard signs, the, the speeches, all of those things. But a, a few months ago, we had um the 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 commissioner from rhode island on and she is appointed by the governor so tell me and from your perspective what's the difference between being elected versus um versus appointed
1: as an elected official yes you are answering you have your job interview and a job evaluation every four years and so you have not just you know one boss of the governor or five or seven bosses of a state board you have you know Hundreds of thousands of bosses that are have voted for you, they're your constituents, and so, so there's that. But once elected, and once you've secured that position, you have one priority, and you keep, you are able to keep the main thing the main thing, and that is student outcomes and student achievement and working for them and a governor has doesn't have the privilege of having just one single issue they have roads and they have water and they have bridges and infrastructure they have energy issues they have inflation they have mm-hmm. commerce they have all sorts of things and and in that leadership role, the compromises need to be made and priorities need to be made. And, and education doesn't always rise to the top of the priority list in every situation. And so as an elected official that is primarily a constitutional officer that is dedicated and in, 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 prescribed to only worry about that K-12 education. It gives me the privilege and the blessing of only worrying about that. And I can be unapologetic and unwavering in my commitment to students and their future success. So I really do feel that it is a blessing and there would be no other way that I'd want to do this job. On on the flip side of that, on the downside of that, when when the arrows come and we've had over the last, you know, decade there's been a number of arrows and and education has been in the crosshairs of of some you know relevant issues some cultural issues and when you are a standalone elected constitutional officer uh without a state board our state board doesn't um doesn't take an active role in most of the things setting content standards they do they do exist and they do um, some responsibilities of annexation and setting district boundaries but they don't take the arrows. You are in the crosshairs and the arrows come to you and the buck stops here 100% of the time, all day, every day. And so that is the downside of not maybe being appointed as, as an appointed person or a, an elected person. You can have maybe a, a, an army of people and many spokespeople and you can have you know some more significant thought partners that are able to spread the messaging. But when it comes time to make a decision, you are the messenger and you need to stand up there Strong and confident that this is the decision that is best for the students of your state. So that's, that's where, that's, uh, that's from my perspective, the, the difference that I see.
0: And I think Angelica from Rhode Island would totally agree. One of the things that she said was one of her biggest learnings is that not everyone's job is education. Not everyone's here to help with this. And that has been a big learning for her and, and a growth area that you have to kind of like bring everyone along, whereas you get to really really focus on that. And I think that's really special. Uh, you mentioned that you are seeking re-election as of today, which is really exciting. And I have to ask you something. We had Julia Raphael Baird on, um, a few like, months ago. And one of the things she said, the biggest advice that she had was think about who's in your personal boardroom. So I would like to know when you made that decision to announce this morning that you're running again, who's on your personal boardroom to help make that decision. I love Julia. And boy, is she bringing an important conversation
1: to, to top of mind and, and top of a conversation in so many circles. Um, who's in my personal boardroom? So I would say that, you know, the the my, my biggest confident and advisor has always been my parents, um, my mother, you know, we lost my mother in the early uh, 2000s. But throughout my entire career, uh, my mom and dad, as I mentioned, were servant leaders before that was a thing. And so after she passed away, it became my dad and my dad and I became very, very close. And so he was in, in my boardroom and with such sage advice, he was a Korean war veteran, a civil, a civic service, Yeah. Uh, purple, you know, three purple hearts, uh wounded got a million dollar war bronze star. He was army infantry. And so just led with absolute, um, selfless, uh, conviction for serving people. He unfortunately passed away in July of this year. And so, um, as this decision was coming around i every four in 2016 with 2012 when i made the initial decision 16 and 20 he was the person that i went to to have that heart to heart and do the t chart the pros and the cons um fortunately i have um three amazing adult sons that have you know learned so much from their grandparents and and so i went to them and we had that conversation and and and, I, and as i as i look to that's on the personal side of things on the professional side of things i'm really known for having a lot of cabinets and um, kitchen cabinets if you will (laughs) and a colleague of mine said kirsten you have more kitchen cabinets than uh, a gourmet chef's kitchen has and so um i have i i visit with students i visit i have a student cabinet that is a informal cabinet like they are officially and formally selected, but it's not like a student council. So I visit with them uh, and I I try to call from them, are there issues out there, are there needs, is the work done? Um, Our family engagement cabinet, I met on Monday night uh, from four to 5.30 with our state teacher of the year cabinet, superintendent cabinet. So I really invested the time to say, is the work done? Is there someone else that can lead and should pick up the baton? Should I pass the baton? And I really got a resounding support of, they didn't know I was actually considering the decision, but through the conversations, the questions and the things that they so honestly and vulnerably shared, I realized the work isn't done and there's still more work to do to support students and teachers and really make sure that our um, the substantial amount of investment that our taxpayers are investing in k twelve education that that's spent wisely on behalf of our children
0: that's really inspiring. To me, it sounds like as long as North Dakota needs you, you will be there. And I can't even imagine the burden that that takes you talk about the arrows. Um, you know, it's funny because I don't think North Dakota raises its top of mind for lots of people, right? We hear New York City and things like that. and and, like we all know we're talking about, but um, I've learned a lot about North Dakota this year because we did a partnership, Amira and North Dakota, where the state basically paid for any district that wanted access to Amira to get access. And we just crossed the line recently with over 100 districts signing up. And I didn't know North Dakota had 100 districts. So tell me, how many districts are they? And how do you I mean you call North Dakota one long main street, but there's a lot of diversity and really different um, communities there. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Thank you. There truly is. I love to talk about North Dakota. We have 168 school districts, operating school districts in the state of North Dakota um, that's in they and our students are being educated in about 480 plus buildings in the state and we have about 120,000 students. And so you can do the math on that. We only yeah. have 10 school districts that have more than a thousand students. And so again, do the math on that. The majority of our school districts, 120 or so, have 300 or fewer students in K through 12. But the diversity is great. And as I said, it's it's one community with a really long Main Street. Some of these students you know, can't travel on a bus for 45 minutes to an hour. They're on long country dirt roads. And so we need right. that many. We need that many school buildings so our students can go to neighborhood schools that for us sometimes neighborhood means 15 to 20 miles away. Um, But the diversity is great. Most people do understand and recognize that we have agriculture as one of our main economic drivers. And so, yes, obviously farming and ranching We have a large presence of energy and that's hashtag all of the above. We have oil and natural gas, we have wind, we have solar, we have coal. So we have lots of lots of energy and that's a major economic driver for our state. But very few people really recognize our third um, economic driver and that is technology. We have the second largest Microsoft Campus in North North in North America, located in Fargo, North Dakota. So technology and unmanned air systems from our, from our university up in, in Grand Forks. Those are huge drivers as well. So technology is a significant player in who we are as a state as well. We have over 120 languages other than English being spoken in our schools, and so we are not the homogenous state that many people think that we are. And I would. I will tell this story too. My first year in office, 2013, I was visiting a school district up in Northwestern, North Dakota, Williston School District. And the local superintendent up there did a really, uh, a a very um, impactful demonstration uh, on their first day. The first day uh, the teachers came back, students weren't coming back until a couple of days later, but all of the teachers were meeting in the gym, one of the school's gymnasiums for some professional development. She had teachers file in, some teachers, select teachers file in, carrying a state flag representing a student that would be in their classrooms in three days that wasn't in their classroom in May when school let out the previous year. All 49 other states, plus some of our jurisdictions were represented. And so that was a, a real, as I said, an impactful visual demonstration of what we were experiencing in North Dakota, that we were getting students from every state in this nation coming to our schools. And so we welcome them. Our scarcest um, resource in North Dakota is our human capital human beings and so we welcome all sorts of of we all people that are willing to come we welcome them we hopefully that's what i was doing at the uh, minot air force base yesterday just recognizing some school some schools that are exceptionally good at welcoming our military connected families and our military connected so it's part of our culture and it's part of the work that we do at the department to ensure that our schools are prepared to welcome and adequately support all the students that are coming into our schools warmly and
0: with high degree of of um outcomes and professionalism okay so when you're serving schools that are as diverse as you are describing and also as far apart as we are talking i mean we're talking really far distances um and and have so much change, like what I'm hearing is a lot of change as well. How do you prioritize? like how and the arrows are coming at you, right? Like when you make a decision, you're going to you're going to take some fire, even if it's the right decision. How are you deciding what's the most important? How are you prioritizing? How are you making decisions that you're going to publicly put out there for every student in in North Dakota?
1: It's easy. You make that it's it's when you are not distracted by a lot of grown up issues, we call them big people issues. And when you keep the main thing, the main thing, and every decision is prioritized on how will this impact our students and how will this affect our children? And so all of it, 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 it may not sound easy, but when you really do frame it, and we have um, tough conversations in this office, we have tough priorities to set, tough budgeting decisions, and the as you said, the arrows. But when you can, defend every decision that you make and every priority that you make by saying, we made this decision because it was the best decision for our students. It really is a lot clearer and the clarity just shines through and they're not easy to implement because sometimes the best decisions for students and young people are not the best decisions for our adults or our community, but we're not in the business of economic developers for communities or economic development. We are in the business and and we are given our funding every year. And I only come to this office every day to ensure that our students have what they need in order for them to be successful in life. And so framing it that way, building a team, we have a small but mighty team that work at the Department of Public Instruction. I will put them up against any state education um, department team in the nation. And any state, uh, any state agency in this state, when when you have that culture of keeping the main thing the main thing and everything around revolves around the question, how are the children? The re- the answers and solutions start to appear.
0: Okay, tell me about one initiative in this last set because I know you've been doing there for a while, but the last four years that you're really proud of. Okay, two Just things. I, okay.
1: I, I have to big, I have to big privilege. Two things. Um, really, it was an eight year effort to ensure that every student in the state of North Dakota at every grade level in every school building um, will now receive instruction in computer science and cybersecurity. Wow. And in 2026, our high school graduates will graduate with computer science and cybersecurity foundational skills. So in order to operate um, and be approved to operate and open their doors every fall, our schools have to assure that they are integrating our computer science and cybersecurity standards kindergarten through 12th grade in order to operate as a school. That is positioning North Dakota students well for the most foundational and in demand skill set of the 21st century. So, very proud of that. Very proud of also recognizing that we, as state education agencies, were not doing a very good job of supporting our school board leaders. We do professional development and provide support for every other member of that educational team, K through 12, our superintendents, principals, teachers, paraprofessionals, even our child nutrition providers and our school bus drivers. We take a role and responsibility in providing professional development support. And it dawned on me being a school board member myself for a number of years that the state was doing nothing to support and provide development for the primary decision makers at our local level. And 98% of our state budget gets delivered directly out to those local school board members to make decisions on. It was, I recognize it's a little bit irresponsible of us to not provide them the same support to do their jobs well. So we partnered with the North Dakota School Boards Association, have a really good relationship with them. And we developed a program that we started implementing two and a half years ago now called the North Dakota Be Legendary School Board Institute and training and so that has been by volunteer efforts almost 30 percent of our school boards have voluntarily engaged in the training and said it's the best thing that's happened to them
0: so it's incredible because it seems first of all it seems somewhat obvious when you talk about all the other professional development we're doing and then as someone who lives in Colorado I don't know how much you follow the news in Colorado but both our Colorado State Board and the Denver Public Schools Board have had huge issues, lots of infighting. It has been like the news from Chalkbeat every other day is how our, our school boards don't get along and they and they are having a hard time operating even. Right. And so I think everything you're talking about makes so much sense. And we forget how how important those decisions are. And just because you were elected doesn't mean you were trained or developed to be in that role. So it's super valuable. Let me ask you the flip side. What's an initiative that you, that you put in place, and it can be in the last four years or 12 years, that didn't quite go as planned? So... Um...
1: I would say, I, I did mention the computer sciences and cybersecurity, I started that in 2015. So let's just say, I thought it was gonna be a no brainer. I thought it was gonna get it across the finish line, took eight years. Lesson learned, you need to bring people along and you need to show them the value. But this last four years, things that didn't go as planned, I thought that our legislator would understand um, the importance of our math initiative to increase our eighth grade math scores. Did not quite get them to understand fully and provide them the information that they needed to embrace that. So in 2025, it's part of, a big part of the reason why I have chosen to um, go uh, to run for re-election again. We need to get better support for the, those lost skills. I mean, math is probably the the easiest content to explain that in. But when you are not solid on those foundational skills in mathematics in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. Those skills are gonna be necessary again in eighth grade math and freshman algebra. We need to take time to go back and shore up those skills. And so I will be working with our middle school teachers and our elementary school teachers as and with our legislators to secure programs that will provide them the support and allow them to ensure that before we move students on in mathematics, that we need to make sure that they're solid in those math skills.
0: That's awesome. And I love hearing like why you're like, you already, you have something else that needs to get done. You know, it's, I think that's really neat and special. Um, let me ask you about the, about our initiative. Um, I, because it means so much and I'm so grateful to you that, you know, we spend a lot of time with districts with state leaders who are one, afraid of AI or, or unsure about AI and two, like the idea of doing something statewide is terrifying, right? Like there's, to your point, you're just asking for arrows from all 168 districts <laughs> by doing something like that. So tell me a little bit about the decision to include Amira at, at in North Dakota.
1: Well, because we are such a small state that we need to we need to collectively negotiate those purchasing. We need to collect and gather our purchasing power. So it makes good sense for us as a state to lead on those things. But the decision again was easy. A, a colleague of mine um, just pointed out to me. He said, "You are." risk tolerant, and you're more like an entrepreneur startup person, you think more like an entrepreneur startup person. And I never realized that. But once we started talking more, it's like, Yeah, of course, I guess that's the way that I've led for the last decade. Um, I believe that it's the state's responsibility to build relationships. You know, I had a relationship with some of the people that had had started Amira got to know them. Um, It's my responsibility to cultivate the opportunities for our state schools and then it's also my responsibility to scale that success across all of our state schools not just in a few pocket areas i believe and again i'm so fortunate to have a team that has embraced that entrepreneurial innovative uh startup mentality because it's what we do we we are become aware of a good idea we get it started, we get the seed capital to begin, and then we have a proof of concept that we bring to the legislature and say, this is what we need to do to continue the great success. And so it was really a no brainer when I was saw the Amira product, saw that it was leveraging technology, I'm a former library media specialist and way back when it was the oregon trail and all of the fun that was the leading edge of technology that was my role and that was my responsibility so i come naturally to that and so when i saw this new wave and this new generation of technology that was going to be able to help our learners i was not risk averse i was risk tolerant i'm like let this can change we have such a teacher shortage as you mentioned we have and i've talked about we have small school districts that don't have a lot of hands and bodies and so we need to leverage every every ounce of technology and when you have that ai teacher sitting with that student and building a relationship and really have the technology behind to assist that that live teacher and saying these are the specific things that this reader is struggling with why wouldn't we seed that why wouldn't we cultivate that and once we cultivated it, as you mentioned, we have over 100 school districts that have recognized the power of that and jumped on. So it's it's what I view my role as a state superintendent to be. It's not an additional thing. It's what it is.
0: It's funny because you say that like being risk tolerant is your entrepreneurial like t- spirit or whatever. But I would say it's extreme ownership. What I'm hearing from you is like, I'll do what I have to do in North Dakota. It's all 168 districts that are on my main street. And I'm going again because we have a math initiative that isn't done beyond the math initiative. What are you most excited to do in this next? Assuming I'm, I'm assuming I'm sure North Dakota is assuming you're going to be reelected. You come in it again. Well, what, what what are you most excited to do next?
1: We really need to restore the teaching profession. We need to, we need to, We need, I don't know that the model that we have, one teacher in, you know, one classroom, 25 students. I don't know that that's fitting this generation of of educators or, you know, next generation of workers. We have a retention problem. We don't have a recruitment. We are graduating enough students from our teacher preparation programs to fill all of our open teaching positions and the retirees, but it's just not, they're not staying. They're not staying. They're not using their license, but they're not in the classrooms. And so that is what I'm most excited about is really working with our governor and our legislature to dig into that. What model changes do we need to make? And again, risk tolerant if we need to upend things and allow school districts to be innovative and creative and do some different things, what are the answers? What are the solutions? And so really digging into teacher apprenticeships, Paraprofessional apprenticeships for our high schoolers, graduating our, the stackable credentials, so they can graduate with a paraprofessional certificate and a high school diploma. They can work as a paraprofessional while they're in college. How do we do that? So again, I'm super excited about restoring the the teaching profession, the educator profession, to a job that is a go-to for our next generation and maybe second career second career individuals as well.
0: Well, that's a perfect segue to what I like. To talk, what I'd like to talk about next, because we talked about North Dakota a ton. I'd like to talk about you because you started as a teacher, correct? I did. Yes.
1: What did you What did you teach? So I actually started as a teacher's aide. I started as a teacher's aide. I was actually in college, and I was uh, had chosen pre law as my major going to be I was going to go to law school. I and I didn't want to be a litigator. I didn't want to be a courtroom attorney. I just I really liked policy and I liked the the way that policy could impact uh, a change for good. So I was in pre-law and I started working as a teacher's aide to to help with, you know, living expenses and and just pay for some of those, you know, college tuition and I fell in love with what I was doing. And it fits so well where I was at in my life and I thought, "Boy, you can change lives." Again, I'm going to go back to my mom and dad saying, you know, God, family, country, and so how can, it was never a matter of if you served, it was how can you best serve, and it just became clear that that's how I can best serve. And so, yes, I was a teacher's aide, and then I became a library assistant, and then I got my teaching degree, and I taught fifth grade for a while, third grade for a while, went back and got my library and media specialist credential, and was a full-time library and media specialist in the elementary schools, became a vice principal, um, worked at district leadership, our district office for a while, and that was really fun. I mentioned or, the Oregon Trail, but it was really at the time, the early 2000s, when the internet was really blowing up, and technology. We needed to hire somebody in our school district to integrate technology skills into all of our all of our content area. So I was able to work. Um, Bismarck School District is the largest school district in the state. I was hired by Bismarck Public Schools, and that's what I did. I worked with elementary, middle, and high school. Uh, teachers across all disciplines, social studies, science, and we integrated technology into those content areas. And so that's how I started. And and as I look at things now, I think, wow, i blended both of my loves education and policy. I'm, I'm so blessed because
0: now I'm doing education policy. So that's, that's really amazing that like a, a little side job that you took mostly to pay the bills ended up changing your entire trajectory, which is really wonderful. Um, can I ask you, did you skip the principal? You never, you were never a principal. I was
1: never a principal. I was okay. never a principal.
0: And the other thing that sounds a little bit rare to me is that you were from elementary school into this very large leadership position. I feel like most women say that's really hard. Did that feel like that for you? That it was hard to make this transition from being mostly in elementary school to then serving K-12 So pre-K-12, I'm sure.
1: Probably the best training ground that prepared me for this job was obviously it was a combination, but. The the role as a school board member, and more specifically, I was on a school board uh, in Mandan. So I was teaching in Bismarck, living and raising my kids in Mandan. My three sons in Mandan, and I was elected to the board over there. Um, I was president of that board for seven of the nine years that I served. As I was serving on that board, we were the poor, we were the lowest performing, Class A school district in the state of North Dakota, and it was because our big people were fighting. Um, we had gone to our teacher negotiations had gone to impasse uh, for four negotiation rounds. So for eight years, and we were starting school uh, without teacher contracts in place. And that's where my three sons were being raised. And and we didn't didn't have a very good reputation for a school. And when our adults were fighting over those issues, those adult issues, there wasn't a lot of time to to be creative as teachers, to be innovative as building principals. And all of the focus was on adult issues. So I ran to really make my school district, my kids' hometown school district, the best that it could be. We did a lot of relationship building. We did a lot of professional development when I became president with, I, it was a nine member board. And so we focused on improving ourselves just as much as we are asking all other people. And then you're talking about mill levies. You're talking about budgets. You're developing budgets. You're in negotiations. You are following the legislative and the, both the state legislative policy changes and the um, national federal uh, changes that are impacting your school district. I became very involved in our state association, regional, and very involved with the National School Boards Association lobbying on those issues. And so, although I had you know no, I had an elementary experience. Um, That was my day to day work. I would go to my, you know, seven to five p.m. job and then my weekends and evenings were on policy and the whole K-12 system. So that's where my system leadership. And again, I spent time at the district office in that technology integration role. And so working with all buildings there. So
0: um, I love that you just said that elementary education is a 7 to 5 p.m. job. I feel like sometimes people forget that. Uh, my husband used to come volunteer in my classroom on Valentine's Day when I was a teacher. And I, the day after, he would tell anybody who would listen, she just doesn't even go to the bathroom during the day. You don't understand. Like, it is all day. But- so I love that you said that. But what I really love about what you just said is you just wanted to make your kids' schools better, right? Like, I think that resonates with every mother, every teacher. It's Like, this pathway has been you got somewhere that you loved and then you looked around and realized like it's got to get better. And that's kind of, is that how it has felt is like you just kept walking through the doors to help things get better?
1: Absolutely. And it's still what it's still the main. And I think the moment that that isn't the core of why I do things or what I'm doing, then it's time to turn the baton over to somebody that does have that core, but it's been the path. When I became a teacher's aide, it was, I realized I could make a difference in three people's lives. Um, I could, um, then, when I became a classroom teacher, I was able to make a difference in 25 students' lives, and then an assistant principal, it was 300 students' lives, and and then a, a district, you know, as a school board member, we had 11,000 students, and then it was I got a call and they said you should think about running, mm-hmm. and I was like, wow. At that point, it was 100,000 students. We've grown in student. It's like, yeah, I think I just want to make I want to make it better, and I and I, and it's still it's still my it's the driver for me today. I just want to make sure that when those kids walk through the doors of our schools and they leave us at their end of their K-12 journey, that we have done everything we can and we've set the table for success for them as best we can.
0: Okay, so let me ask you this. You told me that the one of the things that you're really excited to tackle is is teacher retention, right? Yes. And making sure classrooms have high quality teachers for every single student. Yes. Um and you and you talk about when you started as a teacher and doing that seven to five job. When you think about that person that you were then, what kept her in the classroom that you think might be missing now? Just the
1: joy of what kept me there was the, the frustration of teaching. That you know very well is they, they're they're fast and they're furious, but it's as they say about childbirth, it's all forgotten when you see the moment that that child gets the concept and right. rushes into your room and says this is Basler. I got it. Or they sit down and they say, can I read to you? And they, re- they maybe were a struggling reader and they sit down and they read this book confidently and fluently. That day-to-day connection with students is um, something that might be missing. Uh, I think that is why I have the student cabinet. I meet with my student cabinet quarterly and it's a group of about 20 to 25 students that Are selected they range in age from third grade is the earliest that they can apply to be on my cabinet and through their senior year so they serve an 18 month term can serve up to two terms and these students um one of the questions on the application is tell me something that you think your state superintendent should know but doesn't know and some of these stories are just so honest and so profound And the rubric that we use to score the application ensures that we have students that are having good experiences in their educational journey, but the rubric is designed so we can grab and pull in students that are obviously not having such good experiences. And so we talk to them about, I talk to, I spend the entire day, clear my calendar, I have lunch with them, they come to the Capitol at, you know, eight o'clock and we meet until 4.30. And basically, our conversations from beginning to end are what can we do better and uh, we need to stop doing and what do we need is going well and we need to keep doing. And so day after day right now, um, we're working on a couple of issues that are near and dear to their heart, um, social, emotional issues and kind of the addiction of social media that their peers are experiencing. So they are working on some bills to bring to. The next legislative session that they, as a student cabinet, want to bring to our to our lawmakers. And the other issue is we're struggling with um, diversity and equity. And there's you know a li- some some cultural issues and some some discourse that has happened in our schools between our Native American population and our, our non Native American students and that kind of raised its ugly head and this student cabinet took it on head on and they're working through some issues on how they might be able to be of positive influence and share some things through, th- throughout our state. So um yeah, these are these are this is not a you know, how do we raise money and, and how do we have fun days? They're tackling some hard policy issues that they're allowing me to come along the journey with them. So that that's that's the way that I attempt to keep the connection of what is missing but I have to be very intentional. It's the students. It's making sure that I keep my eye and keep a connect because my goodness, 10 years, this generation has changed a lot. They keep
0: me on my toes. That's awesome. Um, let me ask you, you know, the day-to-day can be hard. The, the challenges you talk, I mean, we've talked about so many challenges um, that you face. And, and again, I don't think North Dakota is like making top of mind for people. And still everything that you said, I'm sure resonates with district leaders, school leaders, system leaders everywhere. Tell me, Really quickly, two things. One, what inspires you about the future? And two, what keeps you up at night about the future?
1: Inspires me is this next generation. My goodness, we just had some interviews. They they are intelligent, empathetic, young men and women that are ready to make a difference to improve this state, this nation, and this world. And so they inspire me all day, every day. What keeps me up? is that I'm not sure that this generation is doing all that we can to support them and provide them opportunities to um, have examples of how to lead, how to compromise, and how to solve the problems
0: that they will face. So that's they inspire me. We keep me up at night. All right, last question. We have a lot of educators who listen, a lot of school leaders, um, and so, and a lot of people who I think when you say I went from having you know impact on three to twenty five to three hundred, that that really speaks to them. If someone is listening and you know their impact right now is in a classroom and they want to do more, what would you tell them?
1: Boy, explore opportunities to volunteer. Um, don't. This is part of my graduation speeches. What I told my own children. Mm-hmm. What I will tell my two granddaughters when they get old enough to to, to listen. Don't be afraid to say yes. Don't be afraid to volunteer. Don't ask, what will I get for this? Because the one thing that I that is true in every step that you can trace it back, I said yes to volunteering and it provided me opportunities to meet new people, to learn new things. And I didn't ask how much I would get paid. I didn't ask if I would get extra credit for it in college or in, in, in whatever I was doing. I just said yes. And those opportunities, I volunteered for. You know, our school improvement, our accreditation team. You know, we right. it, whatever it was. If my principal asked if I was interested, I'd be like, yes, absolutely. Um, when and so I would just encourage everybody. Obviously, there's self care. You need to know your limits. But those things I've found actually fed my soul and filled my bucket and didn't take from it. So if you, as long as you can keep it in check with a healthy balance, say yes, lean in and don't be afraid that you might not be smart enough or you might not be belong in that room.
0: Yes, you do. Yes, you belong. Um, We hear this so much from everybody who comes on the show. So I really appreciate you kind of hammering again that like we got to step in and and be a part of it. You don't know what you're gonna learn and what you're gonna get. All right, we've got five questions we ask every guest. Um, So I'm gonna ask you these five questions. They're meant to be rapid fire, so fast is great, but do your best. The first is uh, the, the show is called More Than A Test and we have a reason at Amira for that, but everybody hears something different when they hear it. So when you heard More Than A Test, what did you think about? Learning is so much more than just a test. Oh, I love it. Um, okay. Tell us about a lit moment in your life. And what we mean by that is a moment about you and a book that is either like your happy place or something that changed you, a place that you go to, a view and a book. My
1: favorite book, uh, probably one of the first ones that I was able to read because it was so illustrated so well, The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. And just such a great message.
0: It's a great book to have everywhere. Um, a piece of technology you love. I love AI at this
1: moment what's something cool you've done with AI recently man I actually was able to input I took a mock schedule or I took mock students and uh said they want this class this class this class and I put a teacher schedule in just to see how it might help our administrators and it spit out a master schedule obviously it wasn't perfect but that's AI but it saved so much time so I thought that's what I've done fun with AI just most recently
0: My first assistant principal job, I got put in charge of like the, on day one, the master schedule for 1200 middle schoolers. And what I like my whole, my whole life just like got better just thinking about what AI could have done for that. That's amazing. I love that. All right. Best advice you've ever been given. Boy, there's so many from my dad.
1: Boy, best advice that he's ever given me. I would say, um, if you've done something good, you won't have to tell anybody. And so
0: just keep doing good things. So and people will know so I'm just gonna let that sit for a second I was, that was so lovely and so well put thank you and one book you think everyone should read good to great Jim Collins <laughs> you know Jim Collins lives in Boulder just down the road from me and um I'm, I'm a friend and a fan so that's a great one to mention hey you ever come out to Boulder I'll take you to his house we'll go um he I, I is mean- like my I'm like he's Elvis to me I'm like wow Good. Yeah. I, so I talk in the flywheel all day long.
1: <laughs> yes. I told you about the um, professional development that I had led our board through. Cause we were doing professional development when I was a board president. We did a book study and then the addendum for public boards. So we use that again and again and again. So
0: yeah, he's amazing. Well, I agree. And so are you. I really appreciate you being here. I'm going to tell you that you've definitely done my husband and his family proud. He would be so happy that you mentioned Oregon trail, not once, but twice, (laughs) uh, that you took us on a beautiful journey down the main street of North Dakota and then ended with Jim Collins. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the more than a test podcast. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. At Amira Learning, we believe every child deserves a chance to become a reader, and we're excited to be part of this conversation. See you next week, and thanks for joining.